check, check, check. One, two, 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 three, 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 three. And we're back. Hey. Yes, yes. This phase in my restlessness is going to last at least one more episode. Welcome to Smells Like Quarantine Spirit, the podcast where I, Ashlyn Romagnoli, do things and learn about things every day in quarantine and share them with my adorable co-quarantiner, Adam Lofton. That's me. Honestly, just be grateful you aren't Adam because this is what I am actually like in real life. <laughs> um, Adam's just making it sound a lot better than my actual voice and then we're publishing it. But um, Adam has to listen to this kind of insanity every damn day forever. Gets to. Gets to. Please. Oh, okay, fine. Don't be gross. <laughs> but in addition to my endlessly voracious appetite for strange facts from present in history... I do come with some positives, Mm -hmm. I would say. Mm, I'd say so. Okay. Many. (laughs) (laughs) I, probably the best one so far, is that I love to cook. Ooh, mamma mia. Mm -hmm. Both of my parents cooked when I was a kid. Uh, My dad in particular, shout out to Jules. What up, Jules? uh, Made a lot of Italian food. And when I was in high school, um, he was at home, um, unfortunately medically retired, but the bright side of which is that he made my lunch every single day and then made me an after-school snack when I got home. Best dad ever. So right now he's super into baking and he makes a loaf of bread for all occasions. Seriously. You know that movie, um, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and how the dad like puts Windex on everything? Um, That's how my dad is with bread. Like, new neighbor, you get breaded. Visiting for the weekend, you get breaded. Dog surgery? Breaded. His own wedding? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He got married like a month ago. Congrats to Jules and Pam. And made bread for everyone on his own wedding day. Really amazing bread. Really amazing bread. So, anyway, what I'm trying to say is that fresh cooked food has always been around in my life. And I am crazy grateful for that. Uh, So, you would think that given my propensity for planning, uh, food shopping would have been expertly laid out when we were getting ready for the big queue. Ha. No. First of all, uh, I almost never know what I'm going to want to make before I set out to make it. Secondly, the last few grocery runs Adam graciously took care of for us because it sounds like it's kind of a madhouse out it's, there. It's would pretty you say. crazy out there. Although, yeah. I'm kind of curious about like, people are talking about people hoarding things and going nuts, and I'm sure there are some people doing that. But I was thinking today about this book that I'm reading. Um, that is, well, I just finished actually called this the sixth extinction by Elizabeth Colbert. Great, mm. great, great book. Um, but she's talking about how giant mammals went extinct. So like, you know, mammoths and like all the really cool big mammals that were in Australia. And it was because people were there. Okay. I, pro- I promise this, this actually connects back to grocery shopping, but basically, <laughs> basically she pointed out that. Humans probably weren't even aware that we were driving these giant, beautiful, majestic creatures extinct because they just reproduce so slowly that even picking off like a couple at a time would slowly but surely get rid of the entire species over the Mm. course of a very long time. So I'm wondering if like grocery store shopping right now is kind of like that. Like, I don't think most people are grabbing like 80,000 packs of toilet paper and cans of soup. They probably just get two or three extra. Right, right. right. You're just like grabbing a couple of extra things, which is very reasonable to do when you are supposed to be quarantining. 
And the cumulative effect Mm -hmm. is that we have these barren grocery stores and everyone looks like an asshole. Um, I don't know. Maybe we are assholes. Yeah, I mean. I'm hoping not. I noticed that effect when I was at the grocery. You know, I just, you know, I I did. I picked up one or two extra things. Like, it wasn't exorbitant, but I I imagine you're right. I think it probably just stacks up. Good. Well, I hope so. I hope people are cool. Um, Anyway, the point is, (laughs) Adam did that for us, which is great. Um... But sometimes he doesn't pick up the stuff that I just kind of like randomly pick up and don't put on the list, which is totally my bad. But it means that like cooking in quarantine is kind of an adventure. So today we're going to talk about cooking in quarantine and fun cooking stories. So (laughs) and actually uh, today I am going to talk about two different cooking stories because there are a lot of them. They're all really cool. So anyway. Um, like dancing, cooking requires a little uh, je ne sais quoi, oh, which oui. <laughs> incidentally is one of the only phrases I can both say and spell in French. Can you confirm for the people that I've spelled it correctly, Adam? Yes, that's true. Yes, I did. Um, a lot of silent letters there, but I spelled <laughs> it right. Um, but we have all kinds of examples of very interesting cuisines developing under unusual circumstances. So uh, take for instance... Our new tradition for Christmas mm. Eve. What is our new Christmas Eve tradition, Adam? Christmas spam. Christmas spam. Okay, <laughs> so we are going to do this forever now. We've done it once. It was our only New Year's Eve together. But now since we did it, we're going to do it forever. Um, so why don't you tell the people about Christmas spam? The story of Christmas spam. Okay, this is totally uh, off the cuff. Um <laughs> Let's see. So, uh, so I took Ashlyn over to uh, to revisit my old haunts uh, over Christmas to uh, Seoul, Korea, where I lived for like a decade. But uh, anyway, we were over in Seoul, and it was like uh, one of our first. It was our first night in in Seoul. We we uh, took the train up from Busan on Christmas Eve, right? Yes. Yeah. So we, we took just the train got there from Busan, from not Busan. to Busan. For any of you fans out there of the excellent South Korean horror film Last Train to Busan definitely watch it in quarantine it's amazing anyway sorry so we took the train from busan to seoul on christmas eve anyway so we're there in seoul it's our first night and i took uh, ashlyn to one of my favorite neighborhoods uh which is called myeongdong in seoul and um and particularly to this this old you know old school restaurant traditional style korean restaurant that i used to love to go and had taken my family to when they were there visiting and you know just it was a real crowd pleaser and uh, I was super excited to take her there for this special Christmas Eve dinner and we get to Myeongdong and I cannot find this place anywhere and you know if you've ever traveled in Asia like a lot of times you know these neighborhoods the streets are you know kind of tight and confusing and windy and stuff changes so I could not find this restaurant to save my life and you know turns out it was gone because things change in in Korea so much the economy is so dynamic like the young people just aren't into old-fashioned restaurants anymore, and it was gone. So, you know, I tried a, another couple of places that I remembered in the area looking for something, you know, for us to have some kind of special Christmas Eve dinner, and couldn't find anything. I was just coming up empty at every turn, totally frustrated, getting a little, uh, you know, a little hangry, both of us at this point. And, um, you know... It was also, like, crazy crowded. It's crazy crowded. There were like a billion people just everywhere. It was like a Christmas markety area. It was kind of felt like Times Square, but times a thousand. (laughs) thousand, And I was taller than most people, which 
makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, and and also, mind you, in in Korea, Christmas is like uh, framed as a romantic holiday where couples go out, and it's very you know, yeah, special. And Adam, romantic Adam had and... told me this, so I was expecting. I had really high expectations for this dinner, <laughs> let's just say. Anyway, I'm just, yeah, by, you know, every moment I'm feeling like I'm just striking out here. And uh, But anyway, we had passed by this one restaurant that served a dish that I really love uh, called Bude Chige. And um, so we ended up, you know, circling back around. And I was like, look, let's just go to the Bude Chige restaurant. We go in. And I, ignorant fool, was just like, Sure, food. Food yeah. sounds food, good. Food sounds good. I'm dying. So we sit out at the table. There's like neon, you know, not neon, but uh, fluorescent lights, you know, just blaring. It's there's no no romance, no atmosphere, uh, no vibes in this place. But uh, anyway, okay, but there was a really cute young lesbian couple. There was next a really to cute us. couple next really to cute. us. It looked like there was their um, first date or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that that was really cool. But other than that, he's totally right. Zero <laughs> ambiance. You could see every pore yeah. on our faces. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, so bright. So, you know, so I order us a nice spread of Boudet Chige and all, you know, all the the fixins. And they bring it out in this, you know, this big steaming dish uh, that they, you know, they cook it at the table. But um, brought out, you know, all the ingredients, set it down on the on the, uh, on the the stove there. And, uh, and she's like, is that spam? I was like, yeah, spam only, and hot dogs. Only heard of in legend for me to this this point in time. Yes. And also, like, there's also, like, a toddler next to me. There's, like, a family next to us with a bunch of kids, and this toddler's, like, eyeballing it, like, yes, tiny mm. hot dogs. Woo! <laughs> so the thing is, this this dish, it's called bude chige, which means army-based soup. And, uh, you know, it's it's a favorite and beloved dish in Korea, but it's it's a nostalgic dish. Koreans are very nostalgic people. Um, but it harkens back to this time in their collective history and memory where, uh, you know, in the aftermath of the war, the U.S. Army was, was sort of occupying and holding on the fort there in Seoul. And, you know, times were tough for Koreans. Koreans were in poverty and just, you know, absolutely decimated by this war. And um, they were kind of poor before the war and just like dirt poor after the war. But uh, but anyway, these these, you know, these army uh, folks would would, you know, sort of give out their extra rations to, to the locals. Um, uh, you know, the U.S. Army was was uh, supplying these people with spam and hot dogs, you know, and instant noodles. Um, these were the sort of rations that they had available. And they took all these things, being the ingenious people that they are, and, and crafted this surprisingly tasty dish out of all these crappy ingredients. It was, it was pretty good. It was pretty <laughs> good. And actually, I'm just going to take like two seconds here yeah. and say that my prejudgments of spam aside, I have some very dear friends who are not Korean um, who love spam. It is a part of their their family culture and history. Hmm. So I apologize, Nina, <laughs> for being a spam hater. I have now seen the light. Yeah. Yes. I've now seen the light. Spam and it's, can be very good. It's going to be part of our family forever now. Don't, um, don't fear the potted meat. Yeah. Don't fear the potted meat. So. Well, Chris, Christmas Eve only. <laughs> Christmas Eve only. I don't know. Fried Spam sandwiches are pretty good. Okay. I'm just saying. Green anyway. eggs and Spam. Maybe. Who knows? Okay. So anyway, food. Food is great. Cooking is great. Cooking is how we bond, um, especially when we have long stretches of time with nothing else to do and bunches of random ingredients in the house. Um, but it would probably not be super helpful to you to just like tell you to cook stuff, <laughs> because if you don't already like to cook, 
uh you're probably just like okay whatever i don't know i have a box of cereal it's fine so i figured uh we might share with you today um one of my favorite recipes um it is like a fucking life hack it is of course tomato sauce because um you know i'm italian Italian. staple yeah italian staple um everyone i've ever met is actually obsessed with this stuff and it has like four ingredients and takes zero effort so it's basically a foolproof way to impress your quarantine buddies or you know your partner i think i made this the first it was the first dinner thing you ever that made i for cooked me. Yeah. for adam yeah. which he probably thought was like super cool but Blew it was actually mind. like totally the easiest and fastest thing i could possibly have made so the secret's out um <laughs> but anyway so i'm a super huge fan of this lovely woman her name is marcella hazan she wrote the classic italian cookbook i have like a copy of it from the 1970s i don't have a lot of cookbooks but hers is one that i really really love i love what she does and it was says. evidently so popular it went to trade paperback like, it went it, to trade that's actually a really good right? point i don't know how many cookbooks i've actually Not seen many. that were in like a nice easy to handle paperback <laughs> edition that it's is pretty cool 500 pages yeah, long yeah. um and with like no formatting it's literally just like page to page to page of amazing tasty recipes okay so um what you need to know is well this, actually is this tomato have, sauce three it's tomato sauce three oh. i haven't even tried the other ones yet because this My one is number. so friggin great um and i bet <laughs> you have most of these ingredients around if you quarantine chopped so i'm gonna have adam read it because you know voiceover and all that so have, okay give, give that a so go. tomato go. sauce three This is the simplest and freshest of all tomato sauces. It has no vegetables except an onion. The onion is not sauteed. It is not chopped. It is only cut in two and cooked together with the tomato. Except for salt and a tiny amount of sugar, the sauce has no seasonings. It has no olive oil, only butter. Sweet, sweet butter. Sweet, sweet butter. What does it have? Pure sweet tomato taste at its most appealing. It is an unsurpassed sauce for potato gnocchi, and it is excellent with spaghetti, penne, and ziti. For six servings, two pounds fresh ripe plum tomatoes. Okay, I will say, I just substitute this with like a 14-ounce can of whole plum tomatoes, crushed tomatoes, whatever. Honestly, it tastes really great. It tastes real good. No matter what. So, very important, one quarter pound butter. One quarter pound of butter. One medium yellow onion, peeled and halved. Salt. One quarter teaspoon granulated sugar. And should we continue? Well, yeah. So basically, there are a lot of instructions for this. Um, Ignore them all. Um, You can (laughs) Google the recipe if you want the specific instructions, but basically this is what you have to do. Open up your can, 14-ounce can of tomatoes. Dump it in a saucepan. Put in that quarter pound of butter. I think it's like five tablespoons, something like that. Five or six tablespoons. You really can't overdo it on the butter in this one. You like chop that up, pop it in there. You just like chop an onion in half and peel it. But like don't chop it up into little pieces. Just chop it right in half. And then you pop that right into the sauce. Um, And then you put a tiny bit of salt, a tiny bit of sugar. And you just kind of cook it on a super low simmer for like half an hour. And that's it. It's literally it. 
she, your delicious goodies. It's so good. She literally says in here, what does she say there? Read that. What does she say? Let's see. Discard the onion. Yeah, no, don't discard the onion. Eat the <laughs> Eat onion. That onion. It's really freaking good. <laughs> um, so and it like soft, looks like a delicious. cool little garnish if you put it on the corner mm-hmm. of a bowl of pasta. So anyway, no doubt. That is a super easy, super impressive, and very, very, very tasty little bit of Italian goodness. Won my heart. Quarantine. On day yeah. three or whatever. Uh-huh. Four. Three, four, whatever. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, basically. If you can't feed yourself and your loved ones, what's even the point? So today, as with yesterday, my recommendation for you is pretty commonplace, but it is very indispensable life skill. So tonight, rather than deep diving into one fun story about cooking, now that we've shared the recipe, I am going to share two. Two. Because there are a lot of cool stories about food. I could have done this forever, but I'm, I, I picked these two because they felt... Nice and balanced. Okay. Ready. So, story one. Bring it. You may or may not have ever heard of the Siege of Paris, but it was a pretty fucking big deal. So, on September 19th, 1870, after a very, very, very long march, Prussian forces encircled the city of Paris, thus kicking off a four-month-long siege of the city. So... I just want to pause for one moment and talk about the realities of that situation. I don't know how much you know about siege warfare, but it is not fucking pretty. So, like, even Sun Tzu in The Art of War, he says, Therefore, one who is good at martial arts overcomes others' forces without battle, conquers other cities without siege, destroys others' nations without taking a long time. Okay, so, like, the guy who wrote the actual book on war was not a fan of siege warfare. It was terrible. I mean, I can't even imagine that regular warfare is super fun, but I really cannot decide which would be worse. A super violent battle or being trapped in your own city's walls, slowly starving to death or dealing with various nasty diseases. And it actually could be just as bad waiting outside the walls. So you can take it from Macbeth. Hang out our banners on the outward walls. The cry is still. They come. Our castle strength will laugh a siege to scorn. Here let them lie till famine and the og eat them up. Okay, so that doesn't sound fun. Both sides, massive risks. And the obvious downside, zero internet at this point in time. Like, imagine you're quarantined right now, but without the internet. So, like, they had a telegraph line, at least, But the Prussians cut that. So that meant that only balloon mail could be used to communicate with the entire rest of the country. Balloon mail. Sometimes the balloon mail had pigeons in it, and then the pigeons would go on and deliver messages. Anyway, it was not convenient. So I'm definitely going to remember that the next time I complain about my iPhone lagging, which is all the time. So, like I said, very, very tough times. Um, Starvation was a very real very scary and, of course, very deadly possibility. What that meant was that some people turned to some pretty unusual sources for food, including... Bum, bum, bum. The zoo! <laughs> That's right. Parisians took to their own zoo to find sustenance, and not just, like, horses, gazelles, antelope, the sort of animal that, like, makes sense to our mindset today. No, no, no. They went for the camels, the hippos, and most importantly, the elephants. A lot of meat on that bone. Yeah. 
Well, okay, but like one quick aside first. The source I read said that they considered the tigers too dangerous to kill. But I really don't understand at all how they managed to kill hippos, but not tigers. Hippos are some scary shit. I am not kidding. Google it. They are fierce and terrifying. Yeah. Think about that the next time you remember your childhood hungry, hungry hippo (laughs) games. Scary. Okay. So anyway, so they slaughtered and ate two elephants who were probably brothers because their names um, were Castor and Pollux, which were two mythical Roman brothers that they were named after. But honestly, the saddest part about all this is that they weren't even tasty. So a source of the Times said, quote, Yesterday, I had a slice of Pollux for dinner. Pollux and his brother Castor are two elephants, which have been killed. It was tough, coarse, and oily, and I do not recommend English families to eat elephant as long as they can get beef or mutton. Okay, thank you for the pro tip. We will cancel the order of elephant meat coming in our next Fresh Direct order. So, very unusual cooking during the siege of Paris. Super intense menagerie there. There you have it. Um, If you are curious about how the siege ended, it did not end super well for the Parisians who did surrender in January. It was about four months later. They did almost immediately, however, receive many, many trainloads of food into the city at that time. A little bit too late for poor Castor and Pollux. (laughs) Sad. Okay, so that was kind of a downer. Sorry about that. It was kind of weird and kind of cool, so I wanted to share it. Um, But I did say I would give two stories tonight, and two you will have. So because the animals got kind of the short end of the stick in the last one, R.I.P. Castor and Pollux, I thought we'd give them a chance to impress us a little bit. Mm -hmm. The animal kingdom. I mean, not Castor and Pollux. Their story ended there. I read this pretty interesting article that sent me down a kind of weird rabbit hole. Um, I was really curious to know, um, do animals cook? I mean, I know that they eat, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I know that, like, raccoons wash food. I think ravens use tools to get the grub hookup. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're one of the only other animals that use tools outside of the primate family. But, like, what about seasoning? Like, taking something you eat and improving it. Hmm. So, as it turns out, this has actually happened, and it is super fascinating. So, in the early 1950s, uh, there were some scientists, and they showed up on the Japanese island of Koshima to study some sweet little macaque monkeys. So this article that I found that was very fascinating was written by a guy who goes only by Alfred K. His website is A-L-F-R-E dot D-K. The article is entitled Monkeys Washing Potatoes. Um, He did a much better job describing this scenario than I could. So I'm just going to have Adam read a little excerpt from his site. So one day, a young female macaque named Emo the Japanese word for potato, decided to start dipping her sweet potatoes into a nearby river before eating them. Her reason was simple and entirely reasonable. She saw sand on the potatoes and wanted to wash it off. Yet none of the older and more mature monkeys had thought of doing this before. They would only brush off the sand with their hands. Emo's brothers and sisters saw her performing this unfamiliar cleansing ritual. Being monkeys, they began to ape her actions, plunging their own potatoes into the river. Soon, her mother followed suit. Evidently, this monkey family had discovered the joys of eating clean potatoes. Ah, the joy of a clean (laughs) potato. Who is not familiar with it? Basically, like a glorified raccoon, you think? 
not so. Because the truly crazy thing, the really cool thing about this story is that Emo eventually figured out that if she dipped her sweet potato into the ocean instead of the river, it would give a really nice salty flavor. (laughs) And this wasn't just Emo. Like, she taught her family this trick, and eventually it spread to all the monkeys on the island. So they enjoyed some tasty salted potatoes, as do we all. Mm -hmm. I'm not just Italian. I'm also a significant portion Irish. This speaks to me. I get you, Emo. So this actually eventually led to the development of a theory called the 100th Monkey Theory. From the Wikipedia page about this, it is a... Hypothetical phenomenon in which a new behavior or idea is said to spread rapidly by unexplained means from one group to all related groups once a critical number of members of one group exhibit the new behavior or acknowledge the new idea. Oh my god, he did that in one take, guys. That was amazing. Okay, so basically the idea is that once enough monkeys or people learn something, the idea can sort of gain a life of its own and spread almost without intervention from the original group. So, needless to say, this idea has been pretty discredited by mainstream science, although uh, there are some New Age enthusiasts who relate the idea of it to um, morphic fields, Mm -hmm. things like that. Rupert Sheldrake, who we talked about the other day. Yes, yes. yes. He's a huge Um, proponent. Right. So, So, some people think this could be a thing. A lot of people don't, though. Um, And they point out several flaws with this theory, Um, but my favorite of which is that old monkeys didn't usually pick up the practice, even if everyone else was doing it. It kind of reminds me of when I tried to show my uncle how to use the internet. Did not go super well. Stay innocent, Uncle Steven. There's nothing good for you out there. But really, what's more likely is that this practice was something spread from monkey to monkey because, well, it was cool and tasty. That's right. It was a monkey meme. Like, um, having cheeseburgers or dabbing or whatever the kids are sharing these days. <laughs> so, that's it. That's it for tonight. Whip up something tasty or weird, but try to avoid the zoo, okay? I think that counts in the whole social distancing thing. And it's not that tasty anyway. Not that tasty anyway, turns out. Mm-hmm. All right. Good night. Good night. Stay well. Thank you.